Glad that we can be gathered around the Word again this afternoon. And words opened here to First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 19. I'm going to back up here at 17, 18, and 19, and I'm, I'm going to back up, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to chapter 17. I apologize. It's a little bit of a lengthy chapter, but the last couple of verses here caught my eyes after I seen it. I seen verses 26 and 27, and uh, I think I'm going to read from there. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have ye not built me an house of cedars? Now therefore thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel." And I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also I will ordain a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more, as at the beginning. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore I tell thee that the Lord will build thee in house." And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will take my mercy, and I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him that was before thee. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore." According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come, and hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What can David speak more to thee for the honor of the... Of thy servant, for thou knowest thy servant, O Lord, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart hast thou done all this greatness, and making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like unto thee, there is neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness? by driving out nations from before thy people whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever, and thou, Lord, becamest their God. Therefore now, Lord, let the, one, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever, and do as thou hast said. Let it even be established that thy name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, 
even a God to Israel, and let the house of David thy servant be established before thee. For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. And now, Lord, thou art God, and hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. For thou blessest, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. Let's sing hymn number 144. Let's bow and pray together. Our great and almighty God, we come before thee here, Father. We are thankful, Father, that we can pray unto thee. We're thankful, Father, that from heaven that thou dost hear thy children when we call out from here below, Father, when we lift up our voices and we cry out unto thee, Father, where two or three are gathered in thy name, thou hast promised to be there in the midst of them. Father, thou hast sent thy Holy Spirit to even make intercession for us and to make utterings for us, utterings, Lord, that we ourselves cannot make. For we find, Father, in ourselves a weakness that is unutterable, a weakness, Father, that is is uh, truly tremendous as we, as we consider just how weak and frail we are. But Father in heaven, as we come before thee, and as we lift up our voices unto thee, O God, and we ask thee to look down upon us here in a very weak place, in a, very, a place of need, Father, it's our hopeful expectation that thou will come here and that thou will speak to us. Father in heaven, when we consider the needs of each one here, Father, there is, there is no other comfort that I could have, I don't think anyone else here could have a comfort, Father, if we were hoping or trusting in anyone other than Thee to come and to speak to us. And I pray, Father, that that would be the case. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of that, Father. I pray that I wouldn't interfere with Thy Spirit. I pray that I wouldn't bring anything here. Lord, I don't know what these dear ones need here this afternoon. But I know that thou dost, Father, and, I, and I, I just pray, O God, that thou would come and meet them here. Father, there are those here that need to hear from thee. Father, there are those here that need to keep working. Father, all of us need to keep working. But Father, there are some here that really need to keep working. They really need to pick it up. They really need to, be, to feel an urgency within their souls. The time is drawing near, Father. And they need to be woke up out of their sleep. And Father, that's something that we as men cannot do. But we know that thy spirit can come and can awaken men out of their sleep. Can awaken them out of their slumber, Lord. Even out of their sins. So I pray, O Lord, that you would come and hear into this gathering of ours and speak very plainly to us. Father in heaven, we love thee. Pray, Lord, that each one of us here might be made more into the image of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that each one of us here, Lord, that we would put off those things that would grieve thee. Lord, get our attention, I pray. Speak plainly to us, speak clearly to us. Father, I, I, I feel very, very weak here. And it's a sort of a horrifying thing, Father, 
to end a prayer knowing that now we must speak. I think of the words there of Moses, Lord, that said, if thy spirit does not go with us, take us not hence. And Lord, that's just how I feel right now. If thy spirit doesn't come, Lord, then take us not hence. But please come, Holy Spirit. Come and move mightily among us. Open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts. That we might be the very children of God here in this day and time today. We love thee, Lord, and we thank thee. And it's in thy name we do pray. Amen. Opened uh, the book of Luke. Have here chapter twelve in front of me. We're going to read here from Luke chapter twelve, verse sixteen. There's so much in this chapter. We'll start here at verse 16. And he spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine, eat, thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What a contrast. What a contrast we see here in Luke chapter 12 compared to Chronicles chapter 17. There's two different men sitting in a place of ease. They're sitting there and there. David looks around and he says, I dwell in the house of cedars. What am I going to do here? And he says, I know what I'll do. I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then said, then Nathan said unto David, do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. David wanted to build God a house. David dwelt in a house of cedars. He was at ease, and he looked around, and he said, I want to do something. This other man dwelt in a house of ease, more money than he knew what to do with, more goods than he could handle, and instead of being geared towards God, instead of building God a house, instead of being rich towards the kingdom of God, instead of being rich towards what God wanted, he said, I know what I'll do. 
I'll tear down these barns and I'll build bigger. And there's not a businessman in this country today that would argue with him. That is, it's outside of the kingdom of God. It makes perfect sense to do that. We see it all around us, men doing that. And God called him a fool. God says you're a fool. I look at David here, and my, my, my thoughts go so many different places. God was not disappointed with David that David wanted to build him a house, but God said, no, it's not going to happen through you. God was pleased with David, as we read here. God was happy with that kind of a heart where David said, I've got so much. I dwell here in ease. But David had done some things that disqualified him from being able to do that. The work of building God's house is holy, holy, holy work. But God was pleased with David that such a thing had entered into his heart. We read in another place that David was a man after God's own heart. And I believe he really wanted to please God here. But God came and he said to Nathan, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me in house to dwell in. It wasn't going to be to David for that. That wasn't going to be something that he was able to do. I wonder where are we at today? How many of us here are consumed with the thought of building God, God's house. Honestly, seriously. We wake up in the morning. We wake up in the evening, or in the, in the early morning, rather. It consumes our hearts and our minds. We want to build God a house. Why are we gathered here today? What do we see 5, 10, 15 years down the road if the Lord should tarry? What are we doing? What are we here for but to build God a house? What are we here for but to labor for the kingdom of God? If it's just to make each other feel good on a gathering such as this, when there's numerous of us here, and then we go home, it's, it, what is that going to amount to? It's going to take each of us here consumed with that passion, with that desire. To build God a house. In the honesty of our heart, how many of us want that? How many of us really want to be able 
to give a demonstration to this fallen world of what it could look like if all the people of the earth would follow our Lord and our King. How committed are we to that? When we look at David here and we look at this fool, and when we look at our time then, and we look at what we're actually investing in, we know how to use Excel, most of us probably. We can make a spreadsheet. We come up with all the hours of the day. We could sit there and we could honestly examine our day from the time we wake up in the morning, whether it be 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever time we wake up, and then we just start working through that day, hour by hour. And I'll tell you, it reveals what we're really working for and who we're really working for. How does that look for us? I am not in any ways teaching asceticism where our entire day needs to be spent on our knees. Our entire day needs to be spent opening and just reading in the word. I think God wants us to get down into the real grit of the world and the everyday, normal, ordinary things of life. Turning a wrench, selling puppies, working at a nursing home, look out here, selling parts, making parts, being a mother, taking care of those little children, changing diapers, being a wife, being a husband. God's not calling us to some mountain recluse where we can go and build God a house. If that's where we're at, we're missing it. But as we look at that day and it's broke down, and we clock in at 8 o'clock in the morning, and that guy comes up that we didn't want to see that day, but we gave the day to the Lord, are we going to be Christian right then and there? And our hands slip off that wrench, and as I've said before, we put our knuckles into that engine block or whatever it is, and they're bloody and bleeding. Are we going to be Christian right there at that moment? Or when baby just went through their diaper again for the third time since lunch? And little one's getting teeth and fussing and crying, and daddy's at home, not home, he's at work. Christian, right there in those moments. So when we sit down at the end of the day and we say, we're building for the kingdom of God. If that's changing diapers, if that's turning a wrench, if that's selling parts, and every one of those situations that we find ourselves in, is it consuming our thoughts where I'm doing this as unto the Lord? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Or do we have it in our minds that we've got to just get away from everybody? If I'm going to be what Christ wants me to be, then I've got to get away from everybody. I've got to get alone so I can get on my knees and so I can be quiet, so I can hear, so I can... Or do we realize that Christ calls us right down there into that everyday grime of life and says right here in this spot, at this moment, with this impossible man or this impossible 
woman or this crying, fussy child right here build my church? We've said it before that Peter, for some reason, the Lord, it just comes to my mind, that account. And the Lord walked for a whole day, and he took him to Caesarea Philippi, if if I'm recalling correctly. Walked a whole day's journey to get out there. Took these young boys out there, these disciples with him. And if I understand correctly, many of you have heard this, Caesarea Philippi, was the, the scum of the earth. It was the pit, it was the Las Vegas, it was the New Orleans, it was, it was the hellhole, it was the Sodom and Gomorrah of that area. And you wouldn't take young boys there. And for a whole day, he journeyed out there. And if I understand correctly, they're in that place. It's, it's tremendously fascinating. And you look into the history of it, and it goes clear on back. I mean, it goes way on back. That it was believed, it was understood, that in that place, there was the, the fallen angels were bound, if I'm understanding the book of Enoch correctly, that those fallen angels were bound, and they were chained up in places of darkness, reserved unto everlasting darkness, here in this geographical area. And in that geographical area, there was this place, this this, this, this uh, cave, and there was a stream that came out of this place, and they didn't know where the bottom of that thing was. I don't know if today if they know where the bottom of that is. And they thought that was the gate of Hades. It's what they taught back then. I think today, if you go there, if I'm not mistaken, they'd say the same thing. That's the gate of Hades, the gate of hell. And if I recall my history correctly in that place, this place of Pan worship, where they worship Pan, who was this god of fertility, they believed that he came out of this place every year and fertilized the, the, the land and, and the, the animals, and he was the god of fertility. And they celebrated this in unspeakable filth and abominable ways. And they had a statue erected there for Pan in that place, made out of rock, and anybody that was in that place would have known about this, this horrible rock that depicted this, this horrible pan. Not a place you take young men, but the Lord took these men there. And it doesn't tell us the particulars. I might be speculating a little bit. I heard it said once, and it really resonated with me, and it clicked. And I thought, I could see my Lord doing that. I could see my Lord doing that. It just seemed to fit so perfect, so beautiful. That he would have marched these young men out to this place, and he would have set them down there in front of this rock, and he would have looked at Peter, and he would have said, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell, they could have pointed right over here, not going to prevail against it. There was a visual lesson there in that, wasn't there? I wonder how much does it consume us? He wasn't calling his disciples to go out and to 
live reclusive lives out in the mountains. He said, you see this rock? Tear this rock down and build my church on this rock. And hell's not going to prevail against it. But you know there's going to be a cross that comes with that. Those men of Caesarea Philippi aren't going to just step back and say, well, go ahead, tear it down. They're going to put you on a cross, and they're going to crucify you. Count the cost. If you're not willing to bear that cross, you're not ready to build the church of God. Because there's no one in this world that's going to let you come and comfortably tear down their idols. There's nobody in this world that's just going to comfortably let you come into their place and their occupation and their business and let you turn everything upside down. And when the men advanced the kingdom of God and they conquered those places and the kingdom of God and the nation of God spread, what was the word? These men who have turned out the world upside down have come here too. And what are we going to do about this? There's only one thing to do with men like that, and that's to kill them. Are we prepared for that? Have we counted the cost for that? Are we willing to go into the world in that way to advance the kingdom of God? This isn't pretty little business. This isn't pretty little work. It's probably going to cost us our lives. If we truly understand that we are citizens of another nation then the nations of this world are against us. Do we want to build the church of God? Do we want to advance the kingdom of God? Sit there and think, yeah, I'd like to do that. Sign me up for that. Be what young men think, young ladies think. I don't know. Some of us older brothers can think that. Sign me up for that. But you know, I'm minded, I guess, of David here. God said, David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to establish your throne. Gave beautiful prophecies of the coming Messiah, our Lord and our King, through this line of David, this lineage of David. I'm going to build you a house, David, because it was in your heart to do this. And I ask the question, are we wanting to build the kingdom of God here today? Honestly, seriously. Does our, does our time card show that? Does our Excel sheet show that? We heard this morning of examining our hearts, and when we examine our hearts, does it honestly before God show that that's what we're living for? That's what we're breathing. That's what, we, that's what we're going to die for. It's the first thought when we wake up in the morning. It's the last thought we have going to bed at night. 
It consumes our conversations. It consumes our day. It's what we meet with. It's what we talk about. And you say, sign me up. There's this verse that came to my mind. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. Going clear back. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Before we sign up too quickly, before we're just too quick to say, I'll go tear down that rock. I'll go fight against the gates of hell. I'll go storm the the prisons and set the captives free. We shouldn't forget this whole long history that happened from 1 Samuel chapter 16 to what we read here in Chronicles chapter 17. And we think about that whole time of David, that schooling that it took for David. David gets called up to Saul because Saul has an evil spirit. The Spirit of God departs from Saul, and so Saul... He wants someone that can play the harp well for him. And David gets called. David's been anointed by God. And he gets brought into the presence of Saul, another man anointed by God. Two of the Lord's anointed in the same place. We've heard the story, we know the account. One day Saul throws a spear at David. I can't make any sense out of that. As much as I've thought on that, I can't make sense how the Lord's anointed throws a spear at the Lord's anointed. It didn't happen once, but it happened twice, I think. Maybe three, was it three times? Jonathan got, got it thrown at. But Saul's hatred towards David becomes so great and so extreme, the jealousy raged in that man so much that finally David said to Jonathan, Jonathan, there's there's a hairbreadth, I think is what he said. There's a hairbreadth between me and death. Your dad's going to kill me. Jonathan says, no, my dad would tell me everything. He said, "Ah." and they made out the agreement, remember? And Jonathan went to the table that next day, or there was, a, there was the, the feast. The first day kind of went without incident. The second day, Saul sees, why isn't David here? Jonathan says, well, he asked leave of me. I think that's when he threw the spear at Jonathan, I think. Maybe, I could be wrong on that. He's furious. 
Jonathan goes out of there. And he gave the sign to David to flee. And now we see David. He's running. He's there at the, at the high priest, and Doag is there. He had to make haste. He didn't even have bread. He didn't have anything to eat. Now remember, I'm thinking in context, do we really want to be the blessed of God? And do we understand what it's actually going to take? And here David is now, and he's at this, and there's Doag, and Doag sees what's going on here, and Doag takes the message back. The priest gives David the sword. It's the sword of Goliath. David says, there's no sword like that. Give that to me. And now he goes out. The anointed of God goes out with the sword of Goliath, the very Goliath that he had killed being anointed. And he put that stone in Goliath's head and chopped his head off, anointed of God. And the ladies come out and they sing praises to David because David's, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And David's anointed by God. And now David's anointed by God. And he's running through streams. And he's hiding in caves. Anointed by God. David's at the gate of the king, and the king says, is this David who they sang about? The one that's killed the giant and killed the ten thousands that they made song over? And there David is, anointed of God with spittle coming down, acting like a madman. Anointed of God. You want to be anointed of God? You want to be a church builder? You want to grow and advance the kingdom of God? You want his anointing to be on you? There he is, hiding in a cave. His father-in-law's out wandering around, trying to find him, trying to kill him. He's got thousands of men coming after him. Anointed of God. Being hunted down by the anointed of God. Won't lift his hand up against the anointed of God. And all the while, we can go back to 1 Samuel here and in his mind, what was he thinking? We can read there in Psalms. We can know what he's thinking. Oh, God, why is this happening? I thought you said I was going to be a king. I thought you said I was going to be anointed. I was anointed. And there's David despairing. He's certain now. He's ran the hills. He's ran the mountains. He's ran through the streams. He's hidden into the, the deserts. And he's reached that place of despair. I know that Saul is going to kill me. Make sense of that. You can't make sense of that. You want to be anointed of God? You want God's blessing upon you? You want to build the church of God? Count the cost. It's going to require a cross. And there's only one purpose for a cross, and that's for you to get on it and be nailed to it, bloodied, scourged, mocked, spit on, and killed. Are we serious about that? Or do we want to just be this man that we read about, the modern American man, wakes up in the morning, gets in his comfortable car, 
drives to his comfortable place of business, makes his money, puts in his time, puts his check in the bank, sets it off for retirement, gets comfortable, thinks about the future, has his 401k, things are going great. Then to hear the words, thou fool. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? We see two men. We see David. We see three men. We see David, and we see this rich man that's a fool. And we see Peter. I want to be of those men that build on that rock. But I'm not going to paint that pretty and nice to any one of us here. But who will join in that? Do you hear the Lord's calling in that? If you hear the Lord's calling in that, may God give you the grace to answer that, to go home today. Say, Lord, here am I. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me.